Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Today, I'm excited to welcome Hallie Yavich as our featured guest for this episode. Hallie serves as the Senior Vice President of Booking and Marketing for Crypto.com Arena, Peacock Theater, and LA Live. Hallie shares her incredible and unique career journey with us. Her original path was to become an attorney. In fact, she has a doctorate from Cleveland Marshall College of Law and is licensed to practice in her native Ohio. As she was pursuing her degree, she worked at Cleveland's Playhouse Square, the largest performing arts center outside of New York, and unknowingly was building the foundation of a career that would bring her joy and fill her heart. Hallie now is at the lead of booking and creating amazing and diverse experiences at one of the most iconic entertainment venues and districts in the world. So he will tell you, like, he'll say, like, yeah, I had to convince her. But I'm so glad he did because I have grown. I have learned to let go of the imposter syndrome worries. I have had um, moments where I don't know what to do and I have to just go with my experience to try to figure out what I think is best. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, but I definitely knew that if I didn't take this job in LA, someone else would and I would be jealous. All right, Hallie, so let's start out with the foundation of your education. So you went to Baldwin Wallace University and you received your BA in history and speech communication. So you gotta tell us, how did you make your college selection and what was the vision for your career with the degree you obtained? So I am from Ohio. Baldwin yeah. Wallace is a small suburb in um, Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from Columbus. And um, Ohio State was too close to home. Mom would visit too much. <laughs> and um, my brother went to Baldwin Wallace and, uh, you know, he was kind of like my best friend, you know, three years later I did whatever he did. You know, he, you know, was on the safety patrol in elementary school. So was I, you know, he played <laughs> an instrument. So did I like, it was kind of like every three years I just, you know, followed him. Um, and you know, I, I needed to be far enough away from my parents that I could do what I needed to do, but not so far that if I needed them, which, you know, would happen at time, like mm -hmm. that they couldn't come visit or whatever. Um, the other thing was that um, I knew I needed a small school because I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond. Yeah. And, and Baldwin Wallace is, um, you know, a small school, but gave me like so many opportunities for leadership and, and, um, you know, when I was there, it was still called Baldwin Wallace College, and they said it was um, um, quality education with a personal touch. And I remember that from, you know, X amount of years now, you know, like yeah. almost 30 years later, but it felt like that. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And what was the vision for your career with your degree? Yeah, so I was a history and speech major and, and both focused on politics. So my history was more about pre like the class I took were more about presidential history. My speech was more about political media. And I thought I would work in the um, political arena. Um, you know, I don't know if that meant being a speechwriter or being an aide. You know, I, at that time, I'm not sure I knew what that meant, but that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, and when I graduated from college, I did work on a campaign. A woman lost and I needed a job. And that's how I came to Playhouse Square. <laughs> Was there somebody or an experience you had that, that made you have that vision of wanting to be in that political arena? Or was that just something you had discovered while you're at school? 
Uh, no, actually, I knew it beforehand, I think, because um, when growing up, my parents were very politically active, not not like um, running for anything per se, but they would throw political parties for um, candidates running, whether it's for my dad was an attorney, so judges, you know, or um, that there was people in the neighborhood who were running for yeah. school board or something. So like, I just sort of remember being active as a, as a family. And so then I thought, well, these parties are fun. I'm going to, I want to, yeah. <laughs> I want a party like this. No, yeah. no, that's, no, that's really cool. The, the exposure you had, obviously, you know, as the youth sort of shaped that, that's, that's incredible. Uh-huh. Now, so after you graduated, share how, share with us how you then navigated into your first career opportunity. Um, and what did you learn from your, you know, about yourself in that first, that first experience? Sure. So my first job, as I said, was working on a campaign. At that time, I wasn't getting paid. It was a volunteer gig. Um, you know, I was calling, ran, cold calling, basically random people to say you should donate money. You know, that's that's yeah. kind of that first job. And um, I was pretty good at it. You know, like, you know, like um, I'm I didn't care if somebody said no because there was, you know, 500 other people on the list. Like my job, I felt like, was to get through the list yeah. and get as many yeses, but but the job was to get through the list, you know? And so then when that campaign, when, when the candidate lost, I needed, a like I say, a real job. I needed a paying job, and Playhouse Square was hiring someone in their fundraising department. And I had already had experience of dealing with high-end donors, you know, and, and, and taking, you know, asking for for um, payment. Um, so, you know, it was a natural fit. I mean, at the time, the job that I was filling in was actually sort of almost like a concierge to help people who had already donated. I didn't actually have to ask for fundraising, but, <laughs> but you know, you kind of already knew it, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, I, it was, it was really, I mean, I'll be honest after the, the campaign, I really just thought, oh yeah, the Playhouse Square job will be, the first job after college that I'm getting paid for. Like I didn't, I didn't really think that was the career. Right. It was just a, just a means to make some money so you can now navigate what it was going to be next. It sounds like. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were in that fundraising department, but um, for a little while, but then you did decide to go back to college, invest more in your education at Cleveland Marshall college of law and receive your doctorate of law. So what inspired you or motivated you to expand your education and pursue this degree and get into this opportunity? Well, so when I started at Playhouse Square, like I said, I was in this fundraising department and I kept going into the booking department. They were called the programming department then. And I'd be like, you should book this band or you should book this. And it wasn't even bands that I liked per se. It would be more like maybe I was talking to a donor who I realized like they would totally love to see Tony Bennett and Tony Bennett would be a really good fit for Playhouse Square. Yeah. So, um, I, I eventually, very quickly after being at, at Playoff Square in the fundraising, the programming department said, come on over, you know? And the reason I tell that story is then I was doing a job that was really fun. You know, I was, you know, I was, you know, helping to shape what kind of concerts would be at Playhouse Square. I mean, I was low man on the totem pole, but it was still really fun. And so I thought, one of these days they're going to tell me I have to get a real job, you know, like, <laughs> like this is fun, but I need a career. And so I went to law school, honestly, because I thought 
well, if I want to go back into politics or if I really need a real job, you know, like a career job, yeah. I should go to law school. And, and I come from generations of attorneys. So, right. so it was also sort of like my grandfather on my mom's side was an attorney and his father was, and my dad was, and my brother was. So, you know, it was sort of like, of course I would go. It's to write a passage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so there was really like a little bit of, yes, I had a job that was really fun, but I wasn't sure it was a career. I had no idea. And, and two, there were so many people in the family that kind of did it that I was like, well, you know, somebody will hire me, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So while you were earning this degree, you started, you know, really developing your career or this non-career career that yes. you know you're having with Playoff Square. So you're a concerts manager, you're booking, and then you grow with them even further as the assistant director of planning. Um, so you were with Playoff Square for 14 years and you did accomplish and receive your degree, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Ohio. Um, but... Uh, you know, during that time, so like what would happen is like, I would get promoted, but I was like, well, I might as well finish law school, you know, like, <laughs> like, or in fact, there was a moment where um, David Copperfield, the magician, like his team asked me to go on the road with him. And I was like, well, I'm in law school. I got to finish law school. You know, like, wow. like I just still didn't realize that people were like whether it was promotion or, or asking me to go on the road, like, like that, that I was creating a career, right. You know, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I don't need to say that I'm clueless by any means, but I just, you know, had this like sort of tunnel vision that law school was the career, you yeah. know, or, or, or being an attorney that I didn't really pay attention to the fact that I was creating this career. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, I realized, well, I finished law school. I might as well take the bar. Like, can't take it away from me if I pass. You know, once, I, once I'm a licensed attorney, like, I'm a licensed attorney forever as long as I do what I need to do to stay um, active uh, um, in Ohio. Right. So it didn't hurt. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't going to kill me to, to do it. So um, I think that, like I said, the inspiration and the motivation was definitely because of not knowing about a career, but staying in law school um, was more just because I wasn't sure. And I chose not to be a lawyer, if you will, like, a, like you know, work for a firm or, or, or practice law because it wasn't fun. You know, like, fun, you know, like and I'm, I'm sure there's attorneys who may listen to this that will say that their job is way fun. And, and that's great. But for me, it's been yeah, I mean, everybody has their thing. And I did you know, so to your point, like what's interesting is you knew before you were finishing that you were building that career then and that, that it wouldn't be fun, but you knew you were already invested in it. You wanted to finish what you started and it may be down the road. Maybe potentially there's some way in which you would utilize, you know, and, and be an active attorney maybe, but clearly your career did not go that path because you're still a rock star. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And you know, what's interesting is you're right. Like in the beginning, I didn't know yeah. in the in near the end. So it took me five years because I worked full time and then went part time at night. And because of my job and, and needing to work shows at night, my part time was sort of part time, part time. So it took me um, five years to graduate where normally for a part time, it takes three and a half to four. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, at some point I was like, wait, I'm not going to 
be an attorney. But <laughs> I still was like, but I might as well finish. And and in case in case this job is not a career, I have something to fall back on. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I love that. And so unique. Like, obviously, you know, I've had 69 conversations on this podcast. <laughs> and this is probably the, the most interesting, you know, part of your <laughs> Your your foundation. Now, after um, after you graduate, you know, and you and you after fourteen years with Playhouse Square in two thousand eight, you joined Magic Arts Entertainment as associate general manager. But shortly after, you made that another move to join the Cleveland Cavaliers, where you and I get to work together later yep. um, as their senior director of events. Share with us about this transition and how you landed the opportunity with the Cavs. Yeah, so I you know had finished or you know had worked at. Playoff square for 14 years. And I was getting to a point where I had reached as high as I could go that, that the woman who was in charge of the department, uh, Gina Vernacy, who then became later became the CEO at Playhouse square. Like she just wasn't going anywhere. And I don't mean that in a, how dare she like, like <laughs> there just wasn't a next step. And, and then I started to think, well, maybe that's not what I want to do. Um, and so when I left Playhouse Square, I took this job to work, you know, as the um, AGM for um, for their some of their tours. But I really thought, oh, even that might not last. You know, I'll do it for a couple of years, and then I'll and then I'll you know go to go to school to be a librarian or something. I, I just <laughs> didn't know really yet. And I remember um, the guy who I worked for was was my boss at Playhouse Square at one point, oh. and he was like you know, I just need you to commit a year. you like, you just have to commit a year. Like, that's all I need from you. And I was like, yeah, that's no big deal. Like, <laughs> sure. And like four months into the job, <laughs> Len Kamarowski calls. And if it might even have been three months now that I think about it. And um, I was talking to my boss about it. And I was like, but don't worry, you know, I committed to you. I'm not going to do it. And he was the one who said, you'd be a fool if you didn't apply for this job. It's, it was made for you. Wow. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until I got the job at the Cavs that I realized that this was a career. Yeah. So think about that. I mean, 14 years of doing what I do and I had no clue. Like I just, I didn't, I don't know. Like, it wasn't like I was stupid. I loved what I did. I was great at what I did. Like I, I like had a passion for it, but I just, because I loved it and thought of it as so fun, yeah. I couldn't fathom that that was a career. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, I think for, you know, to your point, like your family was all attorneys and you're sort of in this law environment, which is very traditional in terms of like a heightened career and you're doing something so untraditional right? You know, compared to your family, I'm probably sure it was just hard to see, you know, sort of the vision of the career path you were going to have and, and really accepting it as like, hey, you can have fun and do a job you love and get paid for it, you know? Yeah, no. And I, and I think you're right because also like, and, and this isn't to say that, you know, people who work in sports and sales, you know, may not know either, but like in, with sales, like traditional sales, you know, like this is, what I'm going to do. Like people understand if you say I'm in sales, they know what you do. If you yeah. say I'm in counting, people kind of know what you do, right? Yeah. If you say I book shows, people really don't know what that means. That's so true. so you don't have a lot of 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 um people to look to to say I want that type of job. Mm -hmm. So to your point, like I maybe I didn't know it was a career because I didn't I just didn't know anyone that did it. 
you know <laughs> you were doing it but you didn't know anybody else. yeah no right but i didn't know like there weren't like oh the neighbor down the street did this you know for 10 years <laughs> you know, yeah right right that's so true and i think that's why this conversation is so important you know because it exposes your career and your path you know to so many people that are going to be listening to this podcast and be like okay i want to know what hallie yavich does and now i'm interested in concert booking and event booking um, yeah, yeah, or or even like I mean, you and I talked before we started recording about confidence. Yeah, you know, like clearly I had the confidence, and and we can certainly talk about when I didn't. But uh, <laughs> I like I just kept moving because I loved it, right? And so, so like there was a sense of confidence at some point, regardless of if you knew someone who had a path before you that you could look at, yeah. you know. And, and, and so that it's also like, I think about myself and my, my experience and just sort of think like, yeah, well now if someone doesn't know, you know, if they really like to talk and they do want to be in sales or they really like to talk and they want to do PR, like, even if they don't know anyone, you just have to keep grinding at it and loving it and you'll get there. That's true. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the experience a little further. So you dedicated 10 and a half years for the Cavs, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. at the time, Quicken Loans Arena, now Racket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Um, and you grew into a vice president of event booking. Mm -hmm. So your career is obviously growing and developing. So share with us more about the experience. So what do you love most about your experience? What were you like, what does it look like day to day for you in this role? And then describe a little bit about your approach to growth. Well, uh, I will say like, so, so the great thing about having my law degree is that I could look at the contracts that we were doing with the artists or, or promoters mm -hmm. and, um, you know, go to our legal counsel and say, like, like, these things are fine because these are business decisions. But these things are legal decisions. And I was not hired to be, you know, to make those decisions. But I could have at least sort of sifted from the contract what they needed to look at as opposed to... Um, maybe someone else who may who may have started in my role and didn't have that exposure so they might have needed legal to teach them things at the time yeah. so so when i say about growth like i loved that aspect that i could still learn from our attorneys a lot of things but that i could also realize that i was still capable of knowing things. So it was sort of like this growth or this opportunity to learn to um, be thinking what is in the best interest of the company at all times in different ways. One is about sales and how you make, you know, um, maybe Billy Joel come to your venue. And one is about how do you make sure that if someone slips and falls, like you're protecting the brand and also the liability, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely love that. I love booking shows. I loved um, <laughs> artists coming in. I loved, you know, like um, shows that like what I love about booking shows is is trying to make sure you're you're feeding the community. Yeah. And so that means that maybe everybody really wants, you know, 27 shows of Paul McCartney. But then you're only feeding some portion of the community, yeah. right? So if you can bring in, you know, the um, like when we had the senior games opening night ceremonies, like, like there were all people from all over the, the world coming, you know, in because of the senior games, right? And yeah. so it was feeding a different community. Or we did, um, 
you know, we did new edition one time and, you know, I will honestly say that was feeding into my community, but <laughs> me in the sense of like, that was my demographic, but like, and then at the next night is Eric church. I mean, yeah. what I really, really love about, um, booking for a venue is that you're paying attention to what your community looks like and trying to make sure that you're feeding everyone. Yeah. No, that's, that, yeah. that's a really good point. I never thought of it, you know, from that perspective, you know, I always think you know, from, you know, I'll be completely honest. Like I always think that like you're obsessed with like just a planner, you know, just people who just love organization and planning, <laughs> but you're, but the, the way you just described it, you know, is very similar to the way, you know, I, I feel about my role in, in terms of bringing fans together in mm -hmm. a common place, right, um, from a diverse set of community. And you get to bring in opposite but similar diverse content mm -hmm. that then, you know, fulfills the needs of a community. Like, I think that's, that's really awesome. Like the way in which the lens that you look at your role and what you love most about it. I like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And like, look, like, even if I think about like, you know, bringing Disney on ice, right. You might think like, well, well, how does that, you know, yeah, it feeds families, but like, it could be someone's very first experience into an arena and they may, when your team is trying to sell them, you know, sponsor or uh, season tickets, when they, when your team is talking, when a salesperson is talking to them and asking about their exposure or whatever, like they're bringing back that memory of their first time coming to the arena. Yeah. And so it sort of like becomes sort of like, like a full circle of, of you're not just selling like sports, you're selling memories. Mm -hmm. you know? Selling experiences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. Experiences mm -hmm. and memories. Is, mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what we do best. I love yes. it. Now in 2019, um, I think you had left just before I left. In fact, if I recall your, I was at your going away party yes. <laughs> and um, you made a big move, a huge move. Obviously you, you grew up in Ohio, your career path was all in Ohio and you make this big move in your career and your life when you were named the vice president of booking for at the time Staples Center, mm -hmm. um, now crypto.com and you know, now Peacock Theater, a lot of name changes <laughs> <laughs> there in Los Angeles. So man, what inspired or motivated this move in your career and how would you describe the experience of being responsible for booking such an iconic venue and set of venues, um, known in sports and entertainment around the world? Well, you know, I will say that, you know, one of the things you asked me about being at the Cavs, like what was your, you know, plan for growth or, you know, my approach to growth. And I remember that I would like occasionally meet with different VPs just to say like, well, I may not be ready. Like what kind of things should I be doing to learn, you know, or, or grow, you know? And like, you know, Carrie Bullock was amazing to me. Lynn Komorowski was amazing to me. Tracy Merrick, you know, gave me some really good advice. So like, I was fortunate in that in my approach to growth, it wasn't necessarily that I knew that I was ready to be a vice president, although, you know, certainly got that when I was a cat, but it was that I would kept asking people to teach me like, what do I need to be looking out for? Right. And so when I was ready, when, when this, when the headhunter had called me from, um, for, for the Staples gig and, and I was like, am I ready? You know, like, you know, I mean, look, we all have go through that imposter syndrome or that that fear of are we good enough? You know, right. I, I will be honest that it went through my head many times, you know, um, and and I just knew that if I didn't take the gig, I would always wonder. Yeah. And and so and also I was ready. I mean, I remember even talking to, you know, 
Anthony and Nick and Lynn about it. And, you know, just sort of like, I mean, certainly they wanted me to say, I don't mean that, but it was just sort of like, I think we all kind of knew that it, that it was time, you yeah. know? Um, I think probably they knew more than I did. I think that my boss now, Lee Zeidman, knew more than I did. I mean, Lee will tell you if you ever get a chance to talk to him that that when he offered me the gig, I cried, you know, like because I was so scared that I somehow had snowed them in the interview. You know, like here's this guy who is like, you know, you talk about a conic building. This is a man who's like been there from the get go and is like so smart and so bright. And yet I think during the interview process, like I've conned him into thinking I was great, you know? I mean, how foolish is that? But, you know, so he will tell you, like, he'll say like, yeah, I had to convince her, but I'm so glad he did because I have grown. I have learned to let go of the imposter syndrome worries. I have had, um, moments where I don't know what to do and I have to just go with my experience to try to figure out what I think is best. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, but I definitely knew that if I didn't take this job in LA, someone else would and I would be jealous. You don't want regrets. And I think it's, it's you know, you, as you talk about your your journey and, and especially at the Cavs and, and now, you know, with, you know, crypto.com and, and, and with Lee, just having people in your network and in your support circle that believe more in you than you believe in yourself. Like we need those people in our lives, you know, and it's so great that you had that. So you could break through and not have that regret in the end and you went for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm lucky too, because like, if I look at my career path, I went from Playhouse Square, which is an amazing company, yes. you know, and, and world known for, you know, it's Broadway, you know, you know, mm -hmm. then I go to Cleveland Cavaliers, also an amazing company under, you know, Dan Gilbert, like who is like, you know, the owner of all owners in my opinion, <laughs> like he just wants everybody to do the right thing all the time. Right. You know, yeah. and like, so he's like teaches you all these like isn't his isms, you know, right? And then I go to another great company under Mr. Anschutz and the leadership with with um Dan Beckerman and specifically Lee Zeidman. I mean, like I I'm just one of those fortunate people that I've gone from great to great to great. <laughs> well, they're fortunate that you've gone to great to great to great. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely on both sides, no doubt. No doubt. So tell us more about your, your role. I mean, now you're a senior vice president. Um, so you got promoted you know, since you've been there. So what do you most enjoy about your work now? And what's been most rewarding considering all that you do and all of you have accomplished in your career, you know, in your current position specifically? Yeah. So, you know, I oversee the booking and marketing departments for the arena, the theater, and the LA Live campus. Mm -hmm. And I would say the most rewarding now is seeing all the people that work under me grow yeah. way more than just, um, you know, do I love booking shows? I absolutely do. But like the fact that like there's someone else now or, or a team of people who want to and letting them do it and taking a step back as, you know, and being more looking at the strategic plan for the next couple of years or, or trying to figure out like, like how I talked to you about community, like what community are we missing or, you know, what demographic can we find or, or what award show isn't out there that we could, you know, try to get whatever. So like I can spend my time sort of thinking about like a, a, a bigger picture, you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and other people can do these 
amazing like other people get these amazing opportunities, whether it's, you know, working with Adobe who does, a, um, you know, their big like, like corporate event in our venue or or someone on our team who's working with, you know, the award shows or the person on our team who, you know, is doing the marketing and created this really cool buzz um, video that like, you know, the artist who's re-posting um, a billion times because they think it's so great, right? <laughs> it's fun now, as opposed to where before it was fun to book these shows. Yeah. Now it's fun to see people do those things. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, you stepped into the leadership aspect of yeah. it, you know? And so it has a, a completely different fulfilling aspect to the, your role and your responsibilities, which obviously is is being heard throughout your excitement about the position and, and what you get to do now and the strategic planning, obviously, and, and just thinking about, to your point, like how you're serving communities and, and like, just keep leveling up. You know? Yeah. I think that's like that, that's something to reach for. I think is fun. And the fact that you're at the lead of that, I, I imagine it's just extremely fulfilling. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, I've heard some of your podcasts, but I'm sure on some, like it, it's, it's this like aha moment. Yeah. When you get to a certain level, you know, that instead of feeling, you know, and maybe, maybe not all women do this, but you know, at one point, you know, maybe you're a woman, especially in sports and entertainment, and you're afraid that if you give up something that then someone else will shine and they'll think you're not yeah. good enough or something. Right. Yeah. And, and then there's this aha moment where you're like, no, like, this person should shine, you know, because I can do these other things. And, and, and there's no jealousy and there's no pick me. It's like, right. no, let's roll this team in the best way possible. And, and I will say that that's my most fun now. Now, um, at this last section of the, of the conversation, I always like to do uh, three final topics. And what I want to talk about with you is sort of managing stress. Like mm -hmm. I can imagine, <laughs> I've seen it. Just in the event sort of vertical of our industry, there's so much that goes into your work, you mm -hmm. know, the organization, the, you know, booking marquee events and just everything that you have to put together to be successful, um, which clearly has to be stressful, uh, mm -hmm. even from one of the best. So how do you handle sort of the anxiety and the stresses of the role and what has worked for you to remain focused and organized? Um, well, if you've ever seen my office, organized is not a word that anyone would ever describe me as. But I'll Order give you focus, focused. Yes, yes, something like that. No, well, here, there's two things because I you had sent me this question before and I had thought about it. And um, I will say the first thing that the first advice I give myself and I have given anyone else who's ever asked this is like that year one in any job is it, I, I always say year one sucks, you know, like, and what I mean by that, and I, it's funny, but it's also true is like, I came from sort of the highest I could be at the Cavs to come to Staples Center, you know, now, now to come arena. And it was really hard, yeah. you know, because I wasn't used to the people or the pace or, or, I knew, you know, the promoter that I worked with in Ohio, but that wasn't the person I would be working out here. Or so I knew the job in, in terms of like the job, like what you're supposed to do. And when you wake up, what, what's going to happen. But like, I 
didn't know sort of those nuances, right? Yeah. And so year one, like, you know, I cried a lot. And and I cried a lot year one of of the calves. Like, <laughs> and, but, but what I mean by that is like, it's just year one. And so once you give yourself that, that yeah, okay, year one's going to be hard because you don't really know or, or you haven't, you know, you haven't figured out like, the best way to walk to your office, you know, like, yeah. because you haven't figured it out yet. Right. Cause you just don't know. So I, I, I feel like once I give, like once I at least acknowledge that the first year has got to be stressful because it's just things you don't know, not because you don't know the job, not because you don't understand, but you just don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So once I got, gave myself that permission, then by year two, I was fine because even if I didn't know, I had already sort of accepted that sometimes I'm just not going to know. Yeah. And that is like, for me, like, like the biggest advice I ever, like when I talk to people, I'm like, just get past year one, even if it's your 17th year in your career and you're now starting a new gig, year one's hard. That's it. Right. (laughs) I I like how you said that too. It just, the, the, the word that really stuck out is permission. Like you mm-hmm. got to give yourself permission to know that it's going to be hard and you're going to have cry days and you're going to mm-hmm. have hard days and you, and it's okay that you're going to have them because you've already expected them and you've given your permission to like deal with them day to day. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I really like that. I, you know, um, yeah. I've said this quote before and I'll say it again. You know, when I started this podcast, I was, I was like, what am I, I don't know the hell I'm doing. Like, you know, like I still don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm like, but it's, it's not about being great at this. It's about the content and hopefully that somebody hears something that helps them push through something on their journey. Right. And mm-hmm. they feel that relatability mm-hmm. to keep going because, you know, as women, we got to stay together. <laughs> so, so there was this quote that I listened to, I saw that made me go, okay, I'm going to do it. It was like, be brave enough to suck at something new. And that right there That's helped great. me. That helped me go. Okay, it's okay if I suck. It's new. I don't know this. Uh huh. You know, and I, it's like I don't have to be the best at everything when I do anything. Like that's how growth happens. It happens in those sucky, you know, that sucky phase. <laughs> yeah. No, I um when in high school I I was a downhill skier skier and um I remember one of the coaches saying, if you fall, it means you tried something new. Yeah. You know, like if you if you can just stay on your skis the whole time, then then all you're doing is going back and forth slowly or, you know, you're doing the zigzag real easy. But yeah. if you try a jump and you fall, who cares? Like that meant you try to jump or if you, you know, try. So I just I don't know. So to your point about like being brave enough, you know, to suck at something like it's, you know, it's new. But every time you're going to get that much better. Yeah. I love that quote. That's, <laughs> That's a good one, right? Yeah. Um, the second, the second part is about lifestyle. You know, us as women, we get a lot of things about, especially in panels and such, we talk about work-life balance often. And so what we've done on the podcast, we, we sort of threw that term out and we like to talk more about lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So my, my question for you is just sort of how do you structure and manage and your lifestyle so that it works for you and the people in your life and for you to do the things that you love to do outside of just your everyday job? Um, I love to work. I am, I am a acknowledged workaholic. I, I feel, um, 
alive when I'm working. Yeah. You know, so when you talk about lifestyle, like for me, it's, it's the work almost, is the fun. Yeah. It, yeah. And, 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 and I don't think that's the best way. So please, you know, like, so when I, um, you know, talk to my uh, team members, you know, like, like I'm constantly saying you're on vacation, you like turn off your phone or I make sure that like, when I moved out here, people didn't change their uh, voicemail or, or email to say I'm, I'm off, you know, I'm on vacation. And, and I was like, well, that's just asinine. Like, <laughs> you, like you, you should, and here's why, and this is what we're going to do. And like, and yes, will you end up having to do an email or a call? Yeah, it could happen, but, but we're going to try to get you to that, to that, this, this dream of going to Italy or this dream of, you know, going to Napa Valley for a weekend, like that you don't have to stress, you know, or think about it. Um, I also think the one thing that I do is I don't, um, I don't, I don't take myself so seriously. Like I try to make sure that my, my job is so fun, you know, like, like, you know, I, I tell this story um, in about, I once was negotiating with an, an agent about an artist, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the artist and the agents like, you know, they were going to want something else, which basically means they're going to want some sort of kickback money, you know, yeah. something, right? You know, and, and you know, that's negotiation. I don't I have an issue about that. That's what they're supposed to do. And I said to the agent, well, I don't care what kind of money you want, but they will not get my matzo ball soup recipe. And, <laughs> right. And he was like, what, what? And he like, he goes, I got to go. And he hung up, like hung up on me. And I was like, Oh no, he didn't get my joke, you know, whatever. And <laughs> so he calls me back and like, we were talking about the negotiation portion, like the, the real stuff. Mm-hmm. And he says, and the manager said, if he doesn't get your matzo ball soup recipe, like this deal is not happening, you know? <laughs> and so when the band came, I gave it to them, Yay. you know, like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I did. I don't know if they cared or, you know, like, but, but, it was funny, it was you know, funny, like, yes, like, and, and, and so, brought you joy. <laughs> yes. So when you talk about like lifestyle, right? Like, like that was an irreverent moment where I was working. It was my job. My job is to do what's best for the company. And here I have this like sort of funny moment, but that's why I sometimes feel like to me, I don't feel like, again, the work like balance words, but I don't feel like it. I don't have a good idea of what I need out of life. And sometimes that might be to have jovialness at work. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And it's one of the things I loved working with you, the Cavs, like everything you're, you're so energetic, you know, and I never, and, and I would say, and maybe you mask this, maybe it's true. I mean, you just don't seem to have a bad day. You know, you don't, you don't present a bad day that, and I think that comes in with your jovialness. Yeah. And I think like how I was telling you about like, you know, we're, you know, you're one, I cried or whatever, like just because I cried didn't mean I was going to have a bad day. You know right. what I mean? Like, so exactly. you're right. I, I definitely, I definitely think that I try to see the good, even if someone's yelling at me, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, like, because you can fix someone yelling at you, you know, yeah. but, but if you can't enjoy life in general, like, like for me, that's a mindset that I just can't, fathom yeah. you know so right. yeah it's all I, I think that's the key too it's all about mindset it's all yeah about mindset. yeah there's the a there's a book um 
I don't, Carol Dweck, I think is the name and, and it's called mindset. And I love it. Like I read it every so often just to sort of put myself back into, you know, like a great mindset, but it sort of talks about like, you know, when you're a kid and you figure out how to color in the lines, then you don't want a more intricate coloring book because you might not color in the lines anymore, you know? And so that seems scary and you, you want to just be successful at coloring in, you know, a bear. You don't want to now color in, you know, a, a, a really intricate garden, right? right? But there are some people who are like, this is so cool because now I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to figure out how to color in it in this intricacy. Mm. And that's the kind of mindset that I try to keep myself thinking about is like, don't worry about that. I might fail at something new. Like you were saying about, you know, being brave enough to suck. It's like, because then you're just learning a new, you're learning something new, you know, like you're not supposed to be great at everything all the time. So every time you do something that you're not good at, it just means you're that closer to being good at it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, I, and thank you for the book recommendation. That's a that's a great one. We'll have to add that to our list and um, I'll put it on my list personally as well. Now to close things up, um, I always like to end with advice. So what advice would you leave our listeners based on your experience and accomplishments to grow their careers in this industry? I would say always, um, well, I've got two, but the one that comes to mind when I think about it is like, like always step up. You know, and, and what I mean by that, and, and Deanna, I know, you know, like for the Cavs, when it was fan appreciation, you know, we were asked to, you know, help be the prize patrol people, right? (laughs) Um, Or, or, you know, when there was a political issue and we were asked to, you know, volunteer at, you know, uh, to pass out flyers or or whatever it may be. Um, But to me, those sort of things, volunteer opportunities, whatever, like are great ways to get to learn about other people in your company and learn what roles they do, you know, or ask the questions or learn, you know, like, I I just feel like when you step up, it's not that you're going to automatically then get a next job. It's that when you step up, you're meeting all these other people who, who could be champions for you. Yeah, no, you know, or, or who could be, um, you know, seeing that you don't, you're not saying, well, that's someone else's job, you know, like you're, you're stepping up. And I, I just, you know, sometimes I feel like when you're on a job, what you're basically doing is interviewing for the next one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like when I, I used to tell this intern that was at the cabs, he would always slouch at his desk. And I would say to him, like, you can slouch all you want. Like, you're doing great work. But the person who knows you're doing great work, he knows. But the rest of the company, they see a kid slouching. So if you are looking for another job and you're going to ask someone, hey, can you recommend me? Or, you know, or someone asks, they're going to say, I don't know what the kid did. He slouched all the time, you know? So, you know, like, when I say step up, it's not just, it's about, like, you know, stepping up, you know? Yeah. I love that. The other one I was going to tell you is I I saw this on Instagram, so I'm totally stealing it, but I use it all the time is to be like a pencil um, in your career. And what it, what it sort of says is like, you know, when you think of a pencil, you make your mark, you know, because you're writing, right? So you're making your mark because you're making a statement by writing something, you know, you're a pencil, you're a pencil makes a mark. 
that's what you should do. And when a pencil gets dull, you have to sharpen it. And if you, you know, were a pencil, that would probably hurt, you know, you're getting shaved, you know, or, or you know, to get sharpened, you know, like you're, you're, you're losing pieces of you. Right. Yeah. But, but that's, you know, people then gravitate to this sharpened pencil, not the dull one, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, yeah, it's going to hurt to be better and stronger and all those things, but like everyone's going to gravitate to you anyway. Right. And then the other thing about that's great about a pencil is if you make a mistake, you erase it. Right. (laughs) And no one then goes to that pencil and was like, you just erase something like you go to the pencil and use it again and again, you know, so like, so when you make a mistake, like make the mistake and get over it and move on. You know, don't worry, like, don't get in your head and think, oh, they're looking at me like I made the mistake because they're not, you know, so remember it, it's gone. You erased it. Yeah. Yeah. You erased it. So I, you know, I saw that on Instagram and I, I mean, I think about it all the time. How do I be like a pencil? I just, because I visually can see all of those things, you know? I love, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Make your mark. If you're dull, get sharpened. And it's okay if you make mistakes, they're erased. Yeah. Move on. Yeah. I love it. Hallie, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for sharing your journey, your insights, your stories, and that amazing advice. Oh, no. It was so great to reconnect with you. I'm so excited for you and your journey. And um, I can't wait to see you when I see you next. <laughs> I can't wait to see you too, Hallie. And that's a wrap on episode 69. Thank you to Hallie for sharing her journey and insights with all of us today. As a thank you to Hallie, our friends at the Pro Sports Assembly will provide her with a one-year membership for her to join Pro. Pro Sports Assembly is an industry member-led association helping events equity in pro sports. I want to thank Pro for their incredible support and believing in the mission of this podcast. And I encourage you all to visit prosportsassembly.org to learn more about how you can also become a member. Now to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers community, follow us on Instagram at Women Blazers. And be sure to check out the next episode dropping Monday, July 31st. Until next time, I hope you have a wonderful week.